Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me here today for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, great to be with you as always. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So plenty to cover. Maybe we can begin with a domestic topic. Now, when we last spoke, Shane, you covered for us the first round of primary election results here in the U.S. I know we focused a lot on the state of Ohio. Now, since we last spoke, I know we've received some additional news on this front. We've heard about other states going to the polls. So what else have we seen, Shane? And what are your takeaways and thoughts on the most recent outcomes? Yeah, this past Tuesday, we had um, a series of primary elections, you know, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Idaho. Um, so, you know, we saw some interesting results. And I think, you know, the, the takeaway as of this moment is, you know, there's something for everyone. You know, if you're a Trump supporter, um, you, you're pleased that his uh, pick in the North Carolina set, Senate race won, Ted Budd. If you are a... Uh, a non-Trumper, an anti-Trumper, you're pleased that Congressman Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina lost, who President Trump came in for uh, at the end of the day and supported. Also, um, there was a Trump-endorsed uh, governor's candidate in Idaho that lost. Um, this was actually the lieutenant governor taking on the sitting governor, um, and President Trump uh, supported the lieutenant governor, but the governor pre- prevailed in this primary. Um, if you're a progressive, you're pleased to see uh, that uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman of Pennsylvania defeated the moderate Democrat in that primary. And also um, a feather in the cap, it appears that uh, in Oregon, uh, Congressman Kurt Schrader, a moderate Democrat, was defeated by uh, a progressive challenger there. Um, and so, you know, Everyone's trying to read the tea leaves, and I think, you know, it's muddled at this point because, like I said, there's something for everyone at this moment. Uh, we have some more primaries coming up, and that's not to mention that even the the um, uh, Pennsylvania Senate race, we still don't know who won the Republican primary there. Was it uh, Trump-endorsed Dr. Mehmet Oz, or was it um, uh, um, um, David McCormick, um, who is more kind of a uh, supported by the traditional Republicans. So we're, we're still seeing how that unfolds. Another big set of primaries coming up um, on the 24th. Um, and so we, 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 we're, we're still waiting to see how all this plays out. But I think the big news politically is, you know, the, the New York maps uh, seem to be now breaking for Republicans. These are the redistricting maps that were, I think we've discussed before, but you know, uh, the latest version is is much better for Republicans. And we're going to see probably some uh, Democrats taking on as Democrats in primaries um, that we did not expect just a few weeks ago. So um, the political grounds are still shifting and will continue 
to shift this summer. Well, an interesting mix of results and polls on the sentiment currently of the American voters. So this will only continue to heat up in the weeks and months to come. And looking forward to continuing with our conversation here, though pivoting a bit, turning to geopolitics. And this ties into our ongoing coverage of the Russia-Ukraine war. As a result of Russia's aggression towards Ukraine, a regional neighbor such as Sweden, such as Finland, they're seeking membership into NATO. And this is interesting because traditionally speaking, these are neutral countries. So what is the significance of this geopolitical shift by Finland and Sweden, Shane? And what are the prospects for their membership? I understand we're hearing some resistance from Turkey on this. Right. Yeah, no, this is fascinating to watch. So as you said, you know, Sweden and Finland uh, have uh, formally applied for NATO membership. And for, for not just years, decades, they've kind of you know, had this more neutral position. And in the past few years, they've shied away from NATO to try and, you know, essentially placate Russia and say, you know, we're, 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 we're peaceful neighbors. No big deal here. Let's continue to be peaceful neighbors. But the situation, you know, has really forced Sweden and Finland's hand where they feel that they need to join NATO and be allies and have a stronger Europe to counterbalance Russia. You know, um, Russia, uh, I think, overplayed its hand overall. They thought that, you know, there would be dissension in NATO of their uh, invasion into Ukraine, which um, they wanted to see. They they wanted to see essentially the breakup of NATO. And this is really um, their actions have solidified NATO. So it it was kind of, you know, um, not good news for Russia. Um, but you're right where Turkey is, it's an interesting situation where Turkey could, uh, object to, uh, Sweden and Finland joining. NATO is a consensus organization, so everyone has to agree to, uh, them joining all the current members, including the U.S. And President Joe Biden, um, has expressed, uh, full support of their membership. But, uh, Turkey has pushed back, um, you know, President Erdogan uh, has has raised objections. You know, I think it's um, for perceived support of uh, of the banned uh, Workers Party or PKK, as it's known, uh, which is an armed group in Syria that Turkey sees as an extension of the PPK, PKK. So, you know, there are some, uh, you know, uh, internal uh, problems for Turkey to support this. But, you know, the head of NATO thinks that they'll be able to get around this and and eventually uh, Sweden and Finland will be full members. Uh, but we'll see how this plays out. Um, but it's definitely another blow to Russia. Um, as Europe stands together and stands together strongly, it continues to make it harder for Russia, you know, on, on the world stage to, to continue on with what they're going. But we shouldn't, you know, let that fool us and think that Russia is going to pull out of Ukraine, you know, to some extent, all of this um, uh, res- uh, gives more uh, resolve to President Putin because he re- really needs to show force. It's a fascinating development, this shift or consolidation to see unfold, and we'll track very closely how this develops, namely with Turkey's stance currently on the matter. Now, with respect to the war itself, Shane, I understand that the United States has reopened their embassy in Kiev, which is a positive development. I understand it's been closed for maybe some three months at this point, and Russia, we've been hearing, has reportedly scaled back their presence in the eastern portion of Ukraine. So, 
from your vantage point, Shane, how has the tone, the overall tone of the war evolved in recent days? Yeah, I think you're seeing more consensus, you know, out of the U.S. You know, just uh, before we spoke, the Senate approved the uh, further aid uh, to Ukraine, which I expect President Biden to sign quickly. Um, You know, the Senate unanimously confirmed um, President Biden's pick for ambassador to Ukraine. So, you know, while it may not be on our on top of our minds every single day, you know, lawmakers uh, are taking it seriously and it and it remains maybe one of the few bipartisan things in Washington right now is this standing uh, behind Ukraine in in pushing back on Russia. So I think they, they view, um, you know, having a an ambassador in Kiev and critical to show this support. And what you're seeing, you know, as Russia maybe pulls back from the Western portion, they're still not fully out. You know, just the other day, there were missile uh, attacks in the Western portion, I think near uh, Lviv uh, in Ukraine. Um, so, you know, while Russia may not have its troops in entire, they're still trying, entire uh, country of Ukraine, they're still trying to show that they've reached throughout the country of Ukraine. So um, you're, you're going to see, you know, troops in the Eastern uh, portion uh, probably really pick up, um, and uh, we may see uh, unfortunately atrocities and and brutal attacks by the Russians in in the eastern portion of Ukraine. But while the Russian troops may demoral be demoralized, you know the leadership of uh, Russia, President Putin, it continues to push hard um, for this uh, for this uh, invasion into Ukraine. So maybe moving over to the economic side of this conflict, I understand that the United States is also moving to block Russian bond payments to the U.S. with a deadline next week quickly approaching. What would be the implications of a potential default by the Russian government? Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, remember when this started back in February, you know, USNC has been barred from uh, transacting with Russia's central bank. Um, but the sanctions regime, you know, allowed for a waiver for Americans to process and accept sovereign debt payments. And that waiver expires on May 25th. So this is uh, right around the corner from us. And uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, said it's unlikely that the waiver would be renewed. Um, so this uh, really does signal that um, Russia may default uh, on their debt, which would be, you know, uh, a big shock to, to their economy. But going back to what we were talking about, you know, I don't think President uh, Putin really, you know, um, you know, cares to an extent. You know, uh, I think President Putin and the Russian people in general have accepted that this is going to be hard on them and their economy. Um, so it, I'll be interested to see. Um, the the full impact of this if it comes to fruition on May 25th. But I think, um, you know, to some extent, the Russians have accepted that this is going to happen and that they're going to keep pushing through. Very interesting and a lot here with respect to the overall Russia-Ukraine war. 
that we can follow up on. So thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed on a range of developments there. As we close out our conversation for this week, Shane, maybe we can end on a bit of a lighter yet mysterious note. Now, I've heard that members of the House Select Intelligence Committee, they held open hearings this week on unidentified aerial phenomena. We know that more so as UFOs. So what exactly prompted this hearing, Shane, and what exactly is the committee seeking to uncover with this? Yeah, so what prompted this was actually um, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is an annual bill uh, passed in in Congress. And it's usually a bipartisan bill. I think it's passed for the, the last 60 years straight, um, which, you know, makes it, again, one of these few items that still has some bipartisanship to it. But the latest version of it that passed at the end of last year required the military to establish a permanent uh, UFO research office. And and this came out of that, you know, to start the conversation of, you know, proper oversight by Congress of are you executing the laws as we wrote them and, you know, providing oversight into into what you learned and what's actually happening. So the, the director of uh, um, this this hearing, you know, um, had some interesting flashpoints and news occurrences where, you know, uh, officials from. Uh, the Pentagon, you know, came out with some 400 uh, unexplained um, aerial phenomena. And, you know, to us, that you know, that is a head scratcher when, you know, you, you have these professionals who uh, analyze this intelligence all day long and there are things they cannot uh, fully explain. Um, you know, and these aren't just uh, uh, random occurrences, you know, it's it, some 400 occurrences. So um, I think, you know, uh, politicians in D.C., it was a great hearing for them to show that they um, are looking at, you know, things beyond, uh, um, you know, uh, what is what is uh, in front of us every day, you know, whether it be inflation, et cetera, because a lot of these issues that Americans do have questions about and concerns about. So, um, while it may not be top of mind to you and I every day, there are millions of Americans who want to know more. And, you know, that's good government, right, for for more transparency and to have these sorts of hearings. And with that, you know, this was the first hearing on uh, UFOs in Congress in some 60 years, so or at least public hearings. So um, I think it was well received and Congress, I'm sure, will be following up on this um, in the in the months and years ahead. Well, the transparency about this on the government's part is out of this world. So we'll see if some of these questions uh, become answered eventually and more to follow up on there. Though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast this week. Very productive conversation as always. I wish you a nice weekend coming up and looking forward to continuing with our conversation soon. Thank you for having me as always, Dan. Take care, and I look forward to catching with you next time. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners and clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which is now available for you up on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel. 
which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.